We're going to continue on where we're at, and we're talking about practical Christian living and being spiritually fit. We looked at on Wednesday night, and as I said, if you weren't here, I would go back and listen to it as we start here in the book of James. But as we talk about trials, we talk about trials on Wednesday night. Tonight, we're going to look at temptations. Trials that test us will toughen our faith if we don't allow temptations to trip us up. Temptations come. They're a part of life. Look at what the Bible says, James 1, verse number 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he every, any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Father, bless the little bit of time that we have. And I pray that as we look at this passage of Scripture, as we talk about temptations tonight, I pray that you would help us tonight. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We move from trials to temptations. We look at verse 13 again. Let no man say when he is tempted that I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. As we look at it tonight, I want you to get this tonight. My brethren, my fellow Christian in the room tonight, you will not make it in the Christian life if you don't learn to deal with trials and temptations. Both of them. Persevere and get through the trials and don't let the temptations trip you up. Once we know the truth about trials and temptation, we won't be so trying and so tempted I think someone worded it like this. Every trial, every external difficulty carries with it a temptation, an inner enticement to sin. How we handle trials and temptations will determine the depth of our discipleship because either one can derail us. God often tests the believer, but he does not tempt the believer. When it comes to temptation, we tend to blame everybody but ourselves. And this blame goes back to the Garden of Eden. When we think about this, we think about Adam and Eve, first of all, and when it comes to us, we blame others. We see that when Adam asked God if he'd eaten the forbidden fruit, his first response was, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. We see right away that Adam blamed Eve. And let's be honest, it was Eve's fault. If she wouldn't have given him that fruit, imagine how this world could be today. Literally, woman ate us out of house and home and kicked man out of the garden. I'm just kidding when I say all that. I've got a few laughs, but not many. But we often blame others. Adam didn't say, hey, God, you're right, God. It's my fault. No, hey, that woman you gave me, she gave it to me and I ate. 
You don't ever do that. Do you ever blame anybody else? I see it often. Kids do it. It was my brother. It was my sister. It's their fault. We blame others, but we also blame God. You look at the first part of verse number 12 there in Genesis. Look at what Adam said. And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. Adam tries to blame God and shame him. Hey, it's the woman you gave me. After all, Eve was God's idea, right? It wasn't Adam's idea. And we can blame others. We blame God. We even blame the devil, right? Isn't that what Eve did? In verse 13 there, it says that God, you know, God turns to Eve and asks her, and Eve was quick. The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. The devil made me do it. Did Satan make her do it? No. Was it God's fault that they ate of the fruit? No. Was Adam right in blaming Eve for eating the fruit? No. But this is what we tend to do. What about you tonight? Are you quick to blame someone else for your sins? Well, if you would have treated me better... I wouldn't have acted that way. I hear that sometimes. Are you holding God responsible for your sinful choices? Do you secretly think that you have an out and you can say the devil made you do it? Do you know, let me give you a little secret here tonight. The devil cannot be everywhere at once. The Lord is omnipresent. He can be everywhere. Satan cannot be everywhere at one time. Talks about in the book of Job, and the Lord asked where he came from, walking to and fro upon the earth. Satan is not everywhere, and I know he's got his little minions and all these different things, but so many people blame the devil. The devil is not always the one that attacks each of us every single time. Do you know the biggest problem and the biggest, let's say the biggest obstacle Brian has in Brian's life. Are you ready? Caroline. No, it's not Caroline. No, you thought I was going to say that, did you? No, 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 no. It is not Caroline. What is Brian's biggest problem? Brian. Brian is Brian's biggest problem. Secondly is Caroline, but Brian is Brian's biggest problem. And so often, we just got to learn to take responsibility. We see in this passage of Scripture tonight that we have no one to blame about temptation but ourselves. And we'll look at this, and I want to give you some thoughts. I want you to see the source of temptation. If we want to overcome temptation, we must first understand its origins. Look at verse 13 and 14 again. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. John MacArthur said this, The problem is not the tempter without, the problem is the traitor within. Four truths I want you to see from these verses about temptation. The first one is this. Temptations are inevitable. The Bible doesn't say here, 
Let no man say if he's tempted. No, it says, let no man say when he's tempted, which means you will be tempted. There's going to be times temptations are inevitable. Second thought, temptations are not from God. Someone said it like this, don't even remotely suggest that God has anything to do with your temptation. God cannot be tempted with evil, and he does not tempt anyone with evil. Now, some of you in the room might be like, well, what about those times in Scripture where the Lord, where it talks about David and the Lord in 1 Samuel chapter 24, 2 Samuel chapter 24. I can answer that question for you, but we don't have enough time tonight. That's what Coffee with Pastors for on Friday. So if you would like an appointment and you want to learn more about that passage, I can give you great insight there when it comes to it. God cannot be tempted with evil, and he does not tempt anyone with evil. He does not. And... Uh, I'm just going to go back with me to 2 Samuel chapter 24 for a second. I don't want to leave you hanging too much on this. I'm not going to give you the full thoughts of it, but I'm just going to give you a little thought here tonight. So look at 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse number 1. And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel... And he moved David against them to say, Go, number Israel and Judah. So God moved David to do this. Now if you go to, let's go First Chronicles. Say, what chapter? I don't know yet. I'm going to get there in a second. I'll tell you where to go. Say, well, why don't you know? Because this was the last second idea to go there. I think it's chapter... Let's see. That's what happens when you just go off the cuff. Chapter 21, 1 Chronicles 21, verse number 1. It says, Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. So one passage tells us that God moved David, and one passage tells us here that Satan provoked David. Some powerful stuff right there. Say, what's the deep answer to it all? God does not tempt us with evil. He doesn't tempt any man with evil. Satan was used here to tempt David. God allowed Satan to tempt him. God didn't do it. Similar to the book of Job, now, sometimes we don't like to get into these things and be like, well, why would God allow that? Did God allow jo Satan to work in Job's life? He did. He gave permission. So why in the world did God do that? Let me tell you something. You and I aren't God, and we'll never fully understand everything about God. Don't try and answer everything. You're never going to answer everything and fully understand God. Well, all I know is he's a good God, and he's trustworthy, and you trust him. And what I know tonight is he does not tempt us with evil. He doesn't. Does he sometimes let Satan do it? We see that that's the case in that realm there. And God can do what he pleases, but God cannot tempt us 
with evil. And so if you want more information on that, set up an appointment and come have coffee with pastor or lunch. If you provide it, that would be fine as well. And so temptations are inevitable. Number two, temptations are not of God. You think about Job and you think about all that he went through. Job 1.22, the Bible tells us, and all this Job sin not nor charge God foolishly. So temptations, they're inevitable. Temptations are not from God. Number three, temptations are universal. But every man is tempted. Each and every one of us faces temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. So one of the things you got to remember is it's universal. Temptations will come. The thing you got to remember is a temptation in my life might not be something you're tempted by. Temptations come in different forms. And you might be very strong in an area, and I might be very weak in an area. But temptations are universal, and then temptations are personal. When we're drawn away of our own lust, the Bible says, and temptations are tailor-made to trip us up. The first thing we must come to grips with is the source of temptation, but next we must understand the snare of temptation Because as I mentioned last Wednesday and tonight, trials that test us will toughen our faith if we don't allow temptations to trip us up. The snare of temptation, how are we gotten? Temptation is designed to deceive and to destroy. Look at verse number 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. Very interesting. There's a hunting and a fishing metaphor used here. The word drawn means to drag out or draw away. And entice refers to bait, capture, and catch. The idea is we're drawn out of a place of safety and entrapped by a specific attraction. The fish sees the bait and bites, thinking he's getting a meal. Instead, he's hooked and becomes the meal. I did not grow up being a fisherman. In fact, I've never had much desire in my life to fish. I've been fishing one time in my life. And I lived in Montana for three years, and they thought I was the weirdest guy around. This sissy city boy is what they thought I was. Never shot a gun before. Never hunted an animal down. You know, for me, growing up in California, the type of hunting I did, you find a good sale at the grocery store, and you get the meat on sale, that's good hunting right there. That's the type of hunting I've done. That's the best way to do it. They said, well, you need to get a gun. And I love guns now. Things have changed just a little bit. I went fishing on the Columbia River up in Washington, just outside of uh, Pasco down there. And we did sturgeon fishing is what we did. And that was fun. I enjoyed it. I was not too big on putting the stuff on the, you know, on the hook and the, the bait. That stuff's kind of gross. Well, not my favorite thing in the world. But I, like I said, I've been fishing. It was one time. The kind of bottom feeders down there, you got to get the, you got to go out, go way down. And then I remember if you feel a little tug on there, you got to jerk up quick because you want to get that hook in its mouth don't jerk up quick, you're not going to get a hold of it. I don't know if all fishing's that way because I've never fished for anything else. 
Maybe sometimes some of you guys that like to fish would actually take me out. Like Ryan could. This is his fishing rod, but he's still, he, he's, we're buddies when it comes to school stuff, but personal life, we're not buddies very much. And I don't know why that is, and so maybe that will change someday. And, uh, but I enjoyed, but you know the bad thing was? It, was? it wasn't, they weren't in season. You couldn't keep them. So you would catch them to let them go, catch and release. What's the fun in that? I see no, what's the point? Poor fish, you know? I think, poor guys, people just go out here and they're hooking you for nothing. They can't even keep you. But when we look at it and we think about every man is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed, it's a present tense, which means temptation is always trying to catch us off guard, to entice us, and to drag us away. You look and you're like, that doesn't look very real to me. I wouldn't go after that. Fish do. As I said, I'm not a very good fisherman. In fact, I would probably embarrass, be embarrassed around some of you. You know, I might be the guy that could have a nice tackle box and a nice rod, but I probably don't have a clue on what I'm doing. I'm hanging this out in front of you because I want you just to get the idea of what's going on before me tonight. When I'm not good at things, you know what I do? YouTube. You go online. You can find videos to do anything. It's amazing. You really, over the past several months, as our live stream has gotten better sometimes, and then it goes backwards and different things, it's YouTube videos. And online, you can find lots of things. Some of you in the room are probably, how many of you like to fish and would consider yourself an okay fisherman in the room? Martha, you are? I could have had you tell all these things tonight then. You and, you and, uh, you and Ryan, and you, could, you guys could be like Peter, James, and John, and the disciples, and, and I would be like them, catch nothing. That would be about my luck right there. And uh, catch an old shoe, catch something like that might be the case. You did fish. You guys fished some, didn't you? And uh, you caught little baby fish. I remember I saw a picture. You caught one this big one time. And it took her an hour to reel it in, but she got it, and praise God for that. And, uh, you know, I looked online at some things, and I've got some things, some questions about fishing and some answers about fishing. Could these be wrong? They could be, because I'm not a fisherman. Could I have asked one of these in the room? Maybe I could have, and maybe they can say if I'm wrong. But I want to give you a couple of questions about fishing and some answers. And then we'll finish up the sermon tonight. The question that someone asked was this online, what do you do if the fish are not biting? One answer was this, change bait or location or angle or go home and start telling fish stories about another big fish you caught at another time. Well, we might not bite on a particular kind of bait, we all get hooked on something that draws away of our own lusts. Now, for example, drugs, hard drugs, would do nothing for me tonight. If they were sitting in here, I wouldn't have a temptation to use them. I've never used them. Some of you, that would be a huge temptation for you. You have a can of Dr. Pepper in here tonight? 
I'm picking it up. I'm going after it. I'm drinking it tonight. We all have different things that get us. And another question that was asked, I'm told that fish like to hide in cribs. Anyone ever hear that before? Can you explain what these are? This was the answer that was given. It's like their home, a place of safety where they congregate. We as believers are most vulnerable when we think we're safe or we're coasting spiritually. Do you know there's no mistake about it that James talks about trials and getting through trials and then temptations get mentioned right after trials. We're vulnerable when we feel safe. Pride cometh before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Another fish question. Why do fish bite on something that is obviously fake and artificial and has a huge hook on it? Like, you look. That fish has got to be pretty dumb to go after that right there. I see the hook, and it's plastic. You know that's not a little fish. And Have you ever seen a fish that green before? Anybody ever see a fish quite that green? And so perfectly wobbling there and even have a hole in the middle of the fish? No, right? When you look at it here, I'm going to see myself hook myself and cut myself up up here. That would be my luck. Fish are attracted by appearance. And their, o- their only thing is to be satisfied with eating. That's what they're after. Think about that with me. We deceive ourselves when we're chasing after things that only get us hooked. We're prone to follow flashy, often settle for cheap substitutes in our life. You look and you think, oh, that fish, why would it go after that? And why do you get tempted and get hooked? Because it's the same type of principle. Another question someone asked about fishing. Fish have no idea how close they are to being caught, do they? Could you explain that for me? So the answer, there are dangers everywhere, and fishermen are determined to hook them with every cost. Most Christians don't realize the fact of how close they are to moral catastrophe. We often think, I can do this, and I won't get caught. I'll never get hooked. This will never happen. But may I remind you of something? Danger's everywhere. All it takes, if there it is. And for those sturgeon fish that I was going after, they got real close. And when you felt them close, a little jerk, and you could hook them up. Next question someone asked, how can a subtle change be the difference between catching and not catching a fish? The answer is, it doesn't take much to get a fish to bite. The same is true for each of us. Just a subtle change can make us more vulnerable to temptation. Here's another one someone asked. And are these pretty accurate, Ryan, so far? Okay, good, because, you know, when it comes to the Bible, I will, you know, I'll give you the truth as best I can. When it comes to fishing here, 
I know nothing about fishing. I'm not even holding it right. I don't even, anyways, we'll just leave it there. Next question that someone asked, sometimes the goal is to get a fish irritated and he'll bite, right? Why is that? Because the fish wants to get rid of what's bothering him. Think about that. We need to watch out when we're weary and crabby as well. Because what you say, why? You know what's interesting in the midst of all that Job was going through? That's when he said in Job 31.1, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I look upon a maid? It was in the middle of a very trying, hard time in his life. And just as a fish gets irritated and will try and bite to get rid of it, sometimes when we're weary and when we're down, isn't it amazing how the Bible uses a fishing illustration here and how all these things fit so well? I didn't even know this because I'm not a fisherman. Don't plan on being one unless Ryan would ever take me out. Next one was this. Next question was, I heard it takes 10,000 casts to catch a trophy muskie. Why so many? How old can a fish like this get? I guess a muskie could grow to be big. I don't know. Ryan, do you know what a muskie is? That's up in Minnesota, Minnesota up there. And uh, this was the answer. Sometimes the bigger ones are harder to catch. They can be up to 30 to 40 years older. And this is what you got to understand. Satan is persistent and will continue to pursue you and I. Our evil desires may be under control 99.99999% of the time, but then we'll take the bait. We must always be vigilant. That's why the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Next question someone asked was this, how important is it to set the hook? The answer is very important. Otherwise, the fish will get away. And there are people today who are nibbling on the bait, the temptation in their life. But sooner or later, that hook's going to be set. And you can be sure, as the Bible says, that your sin will find you out. Sin will take you farther than your plan to go and keep you longer than you're planning to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. Just a couple more. Why is some bait designed to show weakness like blood and erratic behavior? It's to deceive the fish into thinking there's no danger. Hey, Christian, your heart can be very easily deceived. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Another question about fishing. Fish bite because they're attracted to the bait or irritated but sometimes it's just out of instinct, right? And the answer to that is yes. In a similar way, do you know why we sin? This is a hard one, because we're sinners. That's why we sin. That's why it's hard to get a good answer from a toddler or a teenager when you ask why they disobeyed. It's our nature. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Another question someone asked, and maybe some of you are tired of my fishing illustration here, but we're not quite done yet, okay? 
And uh, if I go a little bit over here, I might be able to catch a Kevin tonight. Oh. Okay, we'll just keep this right here in the middle. And so don't need any hospital trips or anything. Where were you at? I was in church tonight. That's probably not a good answer right now. Get on the news, Pastor Hook's church member. Meeting in church that's not supposed to have an indoor service. What was that past state closes church? Because COVID had hook had COVID was on hook of fishing rod. I don't know where Ryan's rod has been here. And so let's see. Only a couple more. How important is it to know everything you can about the fish you're trying to catch? They say it's very important. Their habits, their preferences, location, and even quirks, you can catch them. And and that was the thing. They told me about sturgeon fishing. If I had gone fishing for the first time, I would just put my little, put it out in the water and just waited right here. And I would have been waiting all day and nothing would have ever bit. Why? Because they were over 100 feet down from where I was. It was a good thing to know. And we must understand ourselves. There are temptations and triggers that each of us have. You need to know what your triggers are. Your triggers are not going to be my triggers. And you know tonight what some of your triggers are. Say, Pastor, what are some of yours? None of your business. They're under the blood and the Lord knows, and I praise God for that. A couple last ones. Can you describe the design of a hook and why it's important to keep it sharp? The answer is they're designed to go through their lip easily and then not come out. That does not look very pleasant. Once it goes through, you'll look on the back side. There's a point on the back side to keep it in. Sin's like that. Sin goes in pretty smoothly. But then we get hooked and we can't spit it out. A couple more. What happens when a fish breaks the line? The answer is he'll have a hook in his mouth for a long time. And we'll have scars until he dies. Isn't that what sin does to us? We're forgiven of our sins, but sometimes there's a long-lasting effect because of the sin in our lives. Only two more. What happens if a fish, if, if a fish, what happens if a fish, I tell you I don't know much about fishing if I can't even call it a fish, a fish. Wow. You talk as much as I do in front of people and see what you do, a fish. Yeah, that was good. In Minnesota, they even get that one right. A fish, sorry. What happens if a fish swallows the hook? It will eventually die, is the answer. Just as sin leads to death. And then the last question that I have that I've read about was, have you ever released a fish only to catch him again a few minutes later? And I do believe one of those sturgeon that I caught, I did catch again. He was dumb enough the first time. He was dumb enough the second time. But may I just tell you something? The Lord comes into our life, and we're caught and trapped in our sin. He says, you know what, Brian? I've forgiven you. I'll get you off the sin. You're free to go. We're set free by the grace of God. But many times... We go right back to what's hooked us and what's held us in bondage for a long time. 
The Bible says that every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. Trials that test us will, tough, will toughen our faith if, the te- if we don't allow temptations to trip us. I'm going to set this down before I hurt somebody. And uh, Matthew was asking me about Vacation Bible School earlier. He's like, you're pretty good at getting out on time on Sunday nights, aren't you? I said, yeah, I'm great at getting out on time on Sunday nights. We still got a lot of notes left in five minutes to go, so let's get to it, okay? Temptation is more than an event. It's a process. The pattern's predictable and spelled out. I like how Warren Worsby, he put it. These few things. Number one, temptations, it starts with desire. It starts with our evil desire. Sometimes we think the problem is out there, but the desire to sin lives in here. It's right inside of us. Desire. Number two, deception. The hook is hidden. The shiny little fish catches our attention. One reason we're enticed by sin is because we don't see the hook. We're deceived into thinking it's not there. Sin seems enjoyable at the time, but in the end, the pain outweighs the pleasure. Bait is only attra- it, bait not only attracts, but it disguises the sorrow, pain and consequences to follow. See desire, you see deception. Number three, you see disobedience. This is when we act on our feelings and our thoughts. Sin starts with our emotions or our desires. Then it goes to our intellect where we rationalize in the deception. And then it leads to our disobedience, which leads to death. Sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. The wages of sin is still death. Sin always looks better through a windshield than it does through a rearview mirror. It might promise pleasure, but sin always delivers pain. I'm not sure where I heard this, but watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they'll become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. Watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. We must understand the source and the snare of temptation. And finally, we come to the solution. I don't have a lot of time for the solution, but we need to get to the solution tonight. Look at verse number 16. Do not err, my beloved brethren. The word err there means to wander away. The tense reads this way, stop being deceived. It's an action that's already in process. And you notice James says again, my beloved brethren. He's giving a warning, but he does so with great warmth and with affection. And he says, do not err. Do not wander away, my beloved brethren. Now look at this and look at these two verses. You see, the key to overcoming temptation is to recognize its source and how it's designed to ensnare us. But if we want victory, get this tonight, we must focus our attention 
on God himself. We must not be deceived about the doctrine of God. Look at verse 17 and 18. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. If you want to win over temptation, we must come back to the character of God. While it's important to resist, may I remind you tonight, the real key is to refocus. Since temptation involves our inner thoughts, changing our thoughts is the way to victory. Let's focus on who God truly is and what he has done in the past, what he's doing right now, and what he'll do in the future. A.W. Tozer put it this way, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. There are three key doctrines found in verse 17 and 18. We're getting these and we're going home. The first one is this, God is good. Because God is good, he gives good and perfect gifts. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down. God doesn't send temptations. He sends good gifts. The idea here is he gives gifts continually. Even in the midst of trials and faced with temptation, God is still good. The second doctrine here, not only is God good, but God is great. Talks about the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. He is the Father of every born again individual. In the Jewish mindset, the heavenly lights refer to the sun, the moon, the stars, and planets. God is the creator of all things and stands above all things He's made. These heavenly lights turn, they rotate, they shift, they causing shadows. But not so with God. There's no dark side of, you think about this, there might be a dark side of the moon, but there's no dark side to God. He is our Father, He's the light, and He is good, and He is great, and thirdly, God is a giver. God is the source of salvation, not temptation. That verse tells us, of His own will begat He us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. If you're born again, Aren't you glad that God chose to give you the new birth through the word of truth? Have you believed and received Jesus Christ as your Savior? He's offered that to you. Why you understand something tonight? Do you feel like you're at the end of your rope? If you remember on Wednesday night, I told you the story about the man who had the, the barrel of bricks the bucket of bricks fall on him. You feel like you got a bunch of bricks on top of you tonight? Maybe some of you have filed a claim against God, and God, why are you doing this to me? Why have you given me all these trials and these temptations that I'm going through right now? It's time to tear that up and to declare the fact that God is good, God is great, and God is a giver. Because these three doctrinal truths are so critical in dealing with trials and temptations. He's good, he's great, he's a giver. Instead of filing a claim against God and getting mad at God because the trials that you're going through or the temptations you're facing, maybe you need to remember this tonight. 
God is good, God is great, and God is a giver. As we close and as we get out of here tonight, I want you to remember something. God is good, God is great, and God's a giver. Repeat those with me. God is good, God is and God is a Don't forget it. Don't forget it. Trials will come. Temptations will come. Don't go after the bait. Refocus on the Lord. He's good. He's great. And he's a giver. Father, thank you for the time that we've had tonight in your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your truth. Bless your people this week. I pray that we would live for you and do our very best to please you. And I pray that you just work in our lives like only you can. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.